0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Well, good morning, church, and Merry Christmas to you. morning. Um, If you could, open, if you've got a Bible, if you could open it to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Uh, And I want to add one more reading to the readings we've had this morning. This morning I want to talk to you about Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. Uh, And I want to add one more reading. Uh, This is uh, Luke chapter 2. So, uh, and verses 21 to 35. So, Luke chapter 2, 21 to 35. Uh, So this is the time when Jesus is circumcised in the temple. So he's eight years of age. Uh, We begin with that, and then he comes, well, I think that's in the temple, but then he comes to the temple for sure, uh, and um, for his purification. So we're going to read these two events. And I want you to note what Simeon says to Mary at the end of this reading. So Luke 2, uh, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when Jesus Jesus was circumcised, he he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Alright, so this morning I want to do something a little bit different. I want to think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. So this is not really a a message with lots of life-changing application. It's more of an attempt to enrich our understanding of the Advent story. I think sometimes... Uh, our understanding of, of ad, Advent is too sentimental, the way that we think about it. So I want to kind of de it a little bit, take some of the emotion out of it. Um, and I also want to kind of add some shading to the story. So many years ago, uh, I had a professor at university, and he said to me, you write in two dimensions, Andrew. You need to write in three dimensions. You need to add shading to your writing. And this morning, I want to try to add some, a kind of third dimension, a bit of different dimension to how we see the story, especially the the Advent story, especially as we think about uh, Mary, uh, who was, of course, chosen by God to bring the Son of God into the world. So, uh, just to put you at ease, in case you think I've had some transition to Rome, uh, I'm firmly Protestant uh, in my theology, uh, and I'm very careful not to credit uh, Mary with some divine status that she never had. But still, I, don't, I think we have to be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and miss the fact that Mary was a remarkable lady. So this morning, I want to take a few minutes to uh, reflect on her life uh, and, and, and draw a few lessons as we go along. And my title is this, the words of Simeon to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul also. So I've got six headings. They're going to be brief. Mary was poor and young is my first one. Uh, My second one is Mary's Submission. Uh, My third heading is A a Virgin Conceives. My fourth one is Mary's Disgrace. My fifth one is Mary's Journey. Uh, And my sixth heading is Gifts and Words That Prophesy. Gifts and Words That Prophesy. So my first heading is this, Mary was poor and young. And young. So the first thing to say about Mary is that she was a very ordinary Jewish girl, and very much a girl, I think. Uh, She was from a poor family, um, and uh, I would imagine, thinking about this this morning, that that she probably had about 1% of the resources and status that most of you and I enjoy, which make our lives easier. Uh, She had, if any, few rights, uh, and probably no power in the world, and no voice, And here's one thing that I love about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was the only one who ever got to choose how he would be born into the world. He was the only one who ever got to choose who his mother would be. Um, And when he did make those choices, he didn't make the choice to be born into wealth or nobility. Uh, Jesus came and he identified with the poor of the world. Now, we don't know exactly how old Mary was when she became pregnant with Jesus, but we can make a rough guess. So the commentators tell me that in the first century, a Jewish, in Jewish culture, a girl was betrothed by her parents to her future husband uh, between the ages of 12 and 14. So she was very much a girl. Uh, and then the girl and her fiancé would be married about a year after the betrothal. So, in the American schooling system, Mary would likely be an 8th grade student. Uh, And and probably Joseph was a couple of years older, maybe 16 or 17, so maybe he would be grade 10 or grade 11. Now over the years I've taught lots of students of that kind of age in schools, and I know that we're dealing with a very different culture, uh, but I can't imagine any of my students being remotely mature enough to cope with the demands of marriage and parenting. Maybe one or two of the girls might just about be uh Mature enough to cope with being a mother, but the idea that a, a boy of 16 will be mature enough to be a father is almost laughable. <laughs> so, back in the 1990s, uh, uh, a long time ago now, I taught in a, a state school in the north of England, a public school in the, no- in the north of England, in a town where there was lots of unemployment and lots of social problems. And in a bid to dissuade the girls from getting pregnant too young, uh, The school bought this doll, uh, which which each girl had to take home in turn and look after for a few days. Now, this doll wasn't any ordinary doll. It was a very high-tech doll, certainly by the standards of of the 1990s. And this doll had a water tank inside it. uh, And you had to change its diapers, its nappies, uh, every two hours. Otherwise, it would get water everywhere. Uh, And you had to feed it with a bottle every two hours. And it also had to be cuddled and it had to be rocked as well regularly. Um, You see, the point is that this doll needed lots of attention, um, including right through the night at regular intervals. And if you didn't give it attention, it would cry, this incredibly loud cry and scream so that nobody in the house could sleep. And the thing was, it had no off button. You had to put a code in the back to turn it off and they didn't have the code. So, one by one, the girls took this doll home, and they came back a few days later, looking tired and exhausted. Uh, but soon the teachers decided that their policy of only giving the doll to the girls was a sexist policy, uh, so they decided that all the boys should take the this doll home in turn as well and have a turn looking after the baby so the first um, one that was given the first boy that was given this doll uh, took it home for the weekend. I think he was 16 years old, if I remember correctly. so about the age of Joseph. Uh, and on the Monday morning, he came in looking very sheepish into school. And he produced this doll, but it was wrecked. He'd taken a hammer and smashed it to pieces. And he said that the, the, this doll's crying had driven him crazy. But here's my, this is my first point, and I, that we shouldn't miss is that Mary and Joseph, it's quite worrying, isn't it, actually? But here's the thing we shouldn't miss, is that Mary and Joseph had to take on the demands of parenthood at a very young age. She was 14 or 15 years old. Secondly, Mary's submission. So in the biblical account uh, that we read from Luke uh, earlier on, so Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, who tells her that she has found favour with God, and that she will conceive a child in her womb, and bear a son. And Mary is incredulous. She's amazed, as well she might be. And she says, how can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel replies, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child that is born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary says, and we shouldn't miss this, it's really powerful. She says, behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, the problem with these stories is that we're too familiar with them. Uh, But in the familiarity with these stories, we mustn't miss Mary's remarkable willingness to submit to God's plan. Uh, She doesn't complain that her life plan has been interrupted. She doesn't complain that her bucket list may not be fulfilled things she wants to do in life. She doesn't object because she's not been given a consent form that she's uh, to sign. She's not been given one of those. That's what we might do today. She just says, my role is to be the servant of the Lord. You know, sometimes we say to our children, uh, God has a plan for your life. And, and that's true. It's a good thing to say to your children. But there's a better thing to say to your children, and it's this, that, that God has a plan And he seeks to incorporate you into his plan. Uh, That's far better and more accurate. God has a plan and he will incorporate you into his plan. And you see, Mary found herself caught up in God's plan. And in the light of that, her submission is remarkable. It's an amazing uh, window into the condition of her heart that she submitted so quickly to the Lord's plan for her life. My third heading is this, A virgin conceives... A virgin conceives. So let's kind of uh, think about this conception, this virgin conception. So the claim of the Bible, of the New Testament, is that something happened to Mary that is a one-off in the history of the world. that, That a virgin conceived a baby. And that Jesus was conceived supernaturally. Now, if we knew nothing else about the life of Jesus, then we might mock at this point. And in fact, many people have mocked. So I've met many atheists over the years who mock the idea of a virgin birth, despite the fact that most of them believe in the virgin birth of the universe. You see, the point is that everybody believes in miracles at some point, that something has happened that's miraculous. The world is a miracle, isn't it? People say they don't believe in miracles. I say to them, well, do you believe in the world? Because the world is a miracle. You put a, a seed into the ground and it grows and becomes food for us. That's a miracle. Okay, the world is full of miracles. Um, so there was a Scottish uh, philosopher, called, very famous man called David Hume, uh, who lived during the, 19th, the 18th century. And he was very sceptical of the New Testament. And he said, he wrote this in one of his books. He said, what's more likely that the laws of science were suspended or that a Jewish peasant girl was lying? about being a virgin. Do you get the point? He's mocking. But you see, what Hume was missing was in part a failure of imagination. You see, he failed to imagine somebody who was so great that all of his categories of thought would have to be reconsidered in the light of who this man is, Jesus. You see, what we think is credible depends upon our worldview. And the point is that if God is able to create a universe with billions of galaxies and millions of kinds of living creatures that are different from each other, out of nothing, then it's certainly not beyond the bounds of reason to believe that his son would enter the world in a different way to everybody else, uh, enter the world in a different way to everybody else, and leave the world in a different way to everybody else, because that's a testimony to his uniqueness. So here in the Advent story, we're reminded of the colossal claim that we Christians live by and we proclaim to the world that a virgin gave birth to a child, that the line of sinful Adam was interrupted in the birth of Jesus. He was Jesus. He was fully God and he was fully man. And the claim goes like this. It extends from, obviously, from his virgin birth But it goes to this, that if you put Jesus Christ at the centre of your world, then life stops spinning in incomprehensible circles and begins to make sense. You see, this is the one that we're dealing with at Christmas, the one that we remember at Christmas. And the lesson I want you to see is this, that if you make Jesus small, then he is less believable. If you just reduce him to his humanness, then he is less believable. But it's his... It's his difference to you and I that demands that we give him our attention. You see, that's the point. If Jesus, just, if Jesus was just like you and I, he couldn't help us. It's because he's the God-man that he can save us. So rather than be on the defensive about something like the virgin birth or the resurrection, these things, they scream at us that this man is different to all other men who have ever lived. And that's the point. The virgin birth and the resurrection, they're events to shock us awake To think about who is this man, Jesus. Is my fourth heading Mary's disgrace. So the gospels, um, the gospel accounts of what follow Mary's conception, I think they're rather understated. So really, when you read the gospel accounts, they just tell you what happened, and so and like so often with the Bible, you have to use your imagination. So Matthew tells us that when Joseph found out that Mary was Uh, with child, he didn't want to disgrace her, and he sought to put put her away quietly, uh, because Joseph thought she'd been unfaithful to him, Um, and he was going to break off the engagement. Uh, I'll leave you to imagine the conversation that they'd had uh, about that issue. But it took the intervention of the angel to explain to Joseph what was happening, Um, for him to keep Mary and to take her to be his wife, uh, he had to be instructed about this being a, a, virgin, a virgin conception. But let's pause for a minute and think about what it was like for Mary in these days. You know, on the one hand, she'd been told that she was highly favoured. So she knew, knew that she'd been chosen by God to bear a son, He would be somebody very great, the son of the Most High God, And that God would give him the throne of David, and he would reign over that house, the house of David, not just for his lifetime, but forever. Of course, all these things have great theological significance. But remember that Mary was a Jewish girl, and she would almost certainly have known that prophecy from 500 years before, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, because she would have heard it many times in the synagogue. Which reads like this, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the Virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. Uh, Now, when you think about that verse, what is the sign? Well, the sign is that a son is conceived by a Virgin. So as, as Mary heard those things, doubtless, numerous times in the synagogue growing up over the years, I think in these days now, it would be dawning upon her that she was the sign. She was the virgin who would be the sign that he was the Messiah coming into the world, Emmanuel, God with us. So great favour was upon Mary. But you know, so often having God's favour doesn't necessarily mean that human favour comes along with it. Uh, Often it does not. And there must have been times when she really doubted whether she wanted to have that favor from God. Can you imagine the anxiety of knowing that soon you would develop your baby bump and anticipating the disgrace that would come upon you and your family in a culture where as far as your family was concerned, as far as the village was concerned, your baby was conceived out of wedlock. These things brought great disgrace. You know, this wasn't um, 21st century America where 40% of babies are born out of wedlock. It wasn't the United Kingdom where 50% of children are born out of wedlock. In this culture, it was a scandal to have a baby out of wedlock. It was conceivable that Mary could have been stoned to death for carrying a baby that people believe was conceived through immorality. Uh, And that's why her submission to God's plan, which we thought about before, must have, must have been uh, loaded with personal courage. Mary had a huge amount of courage to be able to handle the, the kind of pressure that she must have experienced. And then imagine Mary, there she's with a baby bump, uh, she is ostracized, no doubt, um, and perhaps when she, uh, imagine her trying to speak up and explain what had happened to her. Do you think anybody would have believed her? Do you, think, do you think you would have believed her? I seriously doubt it. You see, this is my lesson. There are times when we have to be content to know that our vindication comes from God alone. That God's approval is sufficient, even when everybody else misunderstands us. That doesn't mean that we're not accountable to other people, we are. And often we need to listen to other people. But there are times, there are circumstances where we have to be content to live before God and know that we are in the right in a situation, even when everybody else thinks we're in the wrong. That's what Mary's situation was. Her vindication was from God alone. Okay, number five, Mary's journey. So as we know, there was a census organized by Caesar Augustus and Mary and Joseph were forced to travel from their hometown in Galilee, in Nazareth, all the way down south to Bethlehem. Because a prophecy in uh, Micah had to be fulfilled, it's a small window into how God uh, rules the world, how he is sovereign in this world. Uh, That uh, when Caesar Augustus called this census, he was only doing the will of God in order that prophecy would be fulfilled for the Messiah to be born. In Bethlehem. Now, the distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 90 miles. That's 144 kilometers. So remember that Mary is 40 weeks pregnant at this time. Uh, And very likely, she walked the distance, or maybe she waddled the distance, at 40 weeks pregnant. 90 miles. Now, in case you've got a Christmas card at home, and we had a picture here earlier on, with a cute donkey... Maybe have a picture of a donkey at home with Mary on the donkey, knitting some nice clothes for a baby. It's um, an established fact that in first century Israel, only the rich had donkeys. Poor people didn't have donkeys. Very likely she walked 90 miles, 144 kilometers. Now, my wife and I have six babies, or so we've had six babies uh, over the years. And I don't even want to speculate what my wife would have said to me on the... The day or the few days before she was about to give birth at full term, we were going to, uh, go, we had to go on a journey of about 90 miles. That's about two thirds of the distance to Chiang Rai from here. I don't even want to spec- like what, speculate what she would have said to me. That Mary arrives in Bethlehem, uh, because there's no room at the inn, uh, and seemingly she gave birth to her son in a shed that was, uh, that housed animals, not the kind of place that uh, you would want to give birth to your baby, and Jesus is placed into a manger, which is a, an animal feeding trough. Uh, most Western mothers, I think, would to even the thought of it. Um, in the United Kingdom, where I come from, when you leave hospital, hospital with your newborn baby, a nurse will accompany you, accompany you to your car to make sure that you have the correct car, car child seat, car seat. And that it's fitted correctly. And if you don't have the correct car seat, then you can't take your baby home. Uh, But nobody had done a health and safety inspection for Jesus in the stable. He was placed into a manger. Uh, I used to be in a church where there was an elder. uh, This was in England. uh, And he'd been a missionary doctor in Nepal for many years. Uh, And when he used to preach his Christmas sermons, he would rattle off about five Diseases that he was amazed that Jesus didn't pick up by being put in a manger in the first century. But seemingly Mary took it all into her, str- in her stride, and of course I'm not going to talk about how very soon afterwards she was. Uh, uh, soldiers were coming to kill her baby, and uh, and they had to escape into Egypt. So Mary had an enormous amount of things which were very stressful for her and on her plate, and then. My final point is this, gifts and words that prophesy. Gifts and words that prophesy. Let's think about these um, gifts that the uh, the magi, or the wise men as we call them, gave to Jesus. You find this in uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, they were gold, frankincense and myrrh. And each one was symbolic. So the gold points to royalty. Jesus' kingly status. Now frankincense is a is a white resin or gum that you get from behind the bark in a tree. You you cut the bark and out comes this resin. It's used in perfumes and incense. Uh, and when it's burned, then frankincense gives off um, a beautiful aroma. It's u- it was used by the Israelites in their burnt offerings, and it speaks of sacrifice. And myrrh also comes from trees. Uh, from behind the bark of trees, and it's used for embalming the dead, and it points to death. So keep those gifts in your mind. The second thing I want us to think about uh, is um, this occasion that we just read about a few minutes ago, where Mary and Joseph uh, present Jesus in the temple for their purification, and um, so when a boy or a girl was presented in the temple, uh, the parents had to offer a sacrifice. Uh, the first choice of the sacrifice was a lamb. But if the family was poor, they could offer two pigeons or, two, uh, or a pair of dubs instead. Um, and Mary and Joseph offered two birds. So clearly they were poor people. But while Mary and Joseph were in the temple um, with baby Jesus, uh, this man, Simeon, he took Jesus into his arms um, and uh, he blessed him and he said behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel uh, and for a sign that is opposed and then he speaks he speaks to Mary and he says and a sword will pierce through your own soul also now what what interests me this morning as we finish is this this throwaway prediction and a sword will pierce your own soul also Sir Simeon, who is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, predicts a time for Mary when she will experience such great distress that it will feel like a sword is being thrust into her very soul. Now, we read earlier on that Mary was a thoughtful lady. Uh, And uh, Luke tells us that Mary treasured these things up in her heart. That's all the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. She pondered them in her heart and I sometimes wonder what she thought the future would bring. You see, there was the myrrh, symbolic of death, which was strangely given to her baby at the moment when when death is furthest from our minds. Who's thinking about death when you have a baby? And frankincense, which is used in, in, the, in temple sacrifices. And then there was that sword that would pierce her own soul. And then there was the name, you know, Gabriel specifically told Mary and Joseph that their baby was to be called Jesus. Jesus means uh, Yahweh saves or Yahweh delivers. And even more specifically, the angel said to Joseph, you shall call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, this was no ordinary baby. For most people, their first child is the center of the universe or the center of their universe, sorry. Um, But for Mary, she had to come to terms with the fact that her baby really was the centre of the universe. That history hinges on his arrival into the world. So let's just, for a minute as we finish, let's let's wind the clock forward 33 years. So Mary is now 46 years old, roughly. And John, in his Gospel, tells us that Mary was one one of those uh, people who was standing at the foot of the cross of Jesus after he'd been crucified and nailed to that cross. Now, I'm speculating now, but I suspect that as Mary looked on in those hours at the cross, that she was remembering things from the past. That gift of myrrh, which speaks of death, of frankincense, which speaks of sacrifice. They were, they were visual prophecies at the very start of his life. That, that little baby that she once held in her arms... That he was born to die, and die as a sacrifice for others. Or maybe she was recalling the words of Simeon, who said, And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And you see, I think that moment had come at the cross, as she watched her firstborn son naked and suffering in terrible agony on the cross. You see, Mary lived to see the destiny that her son was born for she lived to see the fulfillment of the predictions about a baby mary suffered terrible pain what terrible pain she endured and yes in the scheme of things it was uh, uh jesus would be the savior of all who would ever believe in him including mary but for mary jesus was more than her than her savior alone he was also her son and I think, you know, in those terrible hours as Jesus hung on the cross, and maybe my mind uh, is a bit run, runs away with itself a little bit, but I think as he hung there on the cross, and she's there at, at his cross, that she's remembering the first kick in her womb all those years ago. A little boy, the first kick he ever made. What mother forgets that? Or maybe in her mind she could see him as a little baby bouncing on her knee. Or maybe she, could, she was picturing his first smile. Parents always remember their child's first smile. Or maybe she could see him taking his first steps and, or saying his first words. Or maybe when he was a bit older, she remembers him excited because he'd completed his first work of carpentry as an apprentice carpenter. You see, Mary knew that he was different. She always knew that he was different. Uh, she'd been warned that he would bring her great pain. But I doubt if she ever thought that it would end like this, with her son hung up in the midday sun, bleeding and dying. Mary was ripped apart with a with grief that only a mother can know. Mary suffered terribly. And what I wanted to see this morning is that we should never worship Mary, but I think we should remember Mary with great respect and honor her life. She was a remarkable woman. You see, in one sense, we are all connected back to her. I know Jesus Christ is the only Savior, but we should honor the lady who brought him into the world. She was the one who brought our Savior into the world, and we remember, and I think we should remember her at Advent, because we owe her a great debt. For being a willing servant of the Lord. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.